Conversations. Hello everyone, you're listening to Med Conversations. My name is Beck and I'm here with Davor. Hello everybody, how are you going? What are we talking about today, Beck? So we're going to be talking about anemia, but we'll go quite briefly through the approach of anemia and then focusing on one particular type, which you would have already seen in the subject, but in case you haven't, <laughs> I'm going to keep it a mystery. Uh, so I'd like you to meet Mary. Hello. She is our case study for today. Mary is a 32-year-old yoga instructor who goes to the GP despite being well, just for a um, health insurance checkup. She has no significant past history, no significant family history, and the only regular medications she takes are the oral contraceptive pill and iron tablets, which she self-started. Why'd she do that? Don't know yet. We'll find out. So as part of the assessment, um, there is a obligatory FBE. and That's a full blood exam. Or full blood count in some places. So you find that um, you find incidentally that she has a hemoglobin of 95. Now the normal range is different for women and for men. So these do vary depending on the pathology centre. But usually for women um, in Melbourne we say about 115 to 165 is normal. So she's got low hemoglobin. Just contrasting with men who have a normal range of about 130 to 180. So Mary has a low hemoglobin at 95. She's got a low, uh, sorry, a high MCV at 110, where the normal range is 80 to 100. So So that's a mean corpuscular volume, the actual volume of individual red blood cells. So how do they work that out? I have no idea. So what they actually do is they, it's, it's the mean corpuscular volume. So they actually find the mean, I guess it's the mean diameter of the cells. So that means that if you've got a mixed picture where some of the cells are abnormally small and some are abnormally large, mm. um, the MCV looks to be normal. So we had a patient like that just recently. He was a big drinker, which gives you a macrocytic high MCV, but also wasn't eating anything. So he had severe iron deficiency, but his MCV was normal. There you go. Um, so Mary also has a normal MCH. So what's an MCH? Mean corpuscular hemoglobin. And? What, is that, what does that mean? How much hemoglobin is in each cell on average? Or, or sort of on a practical level, how dark the colour of the cell is. Okay. So really pale cells have a low MCH. Mm. And, and I guess... Brilliantly coloured, darker cells uh, have a high MCH. But anyway, hers is normal. Mm. And everything else in the FBE was also normal. Mm. Okay, so what next? We have this patient who has a macrocytic anemia and we're unsure of the cause. So the next step is obviously to take a more directed history and do a directed examination. And I think the, the best approach to this is classifying anemia Either of um, either between sort of the microcytic, normocytic, macrocytic, and looking at those causes, or keeping in mind that in real life um, conditions don't always obey the rules in textbooks. Mm. You can look at the different causes of anemia in general and classify the pathophysiology, and use that to guide a history and examination. So one classification that I've been taught is to split the anemia up between causes of increased loss of red blood cells, increased destruction of the red blood cells, sequestration, so there's enough, but it's all being stored somewhere else. 
herded somewhere. Herded somewhere else. Um, or decrease production. So if we go through each of those, so first of all, increased loss. Uh, so what are the main causes of increased loss of red blood cells? The most common one that I've seen is heavy periods. Yeah, so menorrhagia is the most common um, cause of anemia through the mechanism of increased loss of hemoglobin. I had a lady the other day that told me she used 30 pads the day before she saw me. Really? So I reckon she's lost a few red blood cells. Jeez. <laughs> um, the, the second most common cause is um, GIT loss, which can either be frank or occult. If we then look at um, at this patient and just check if those things are happening. So we said that she was on um, the oral contraceptive pill and she says that her, her menstruation is actually quite light, so it's probably not that. Mm. And she hasn't noticed any overt PR bleeding. And just to get a bit of an idea of whether she might be at increased risk of having some kind of a bowel cancer, we just ask her, has she noticed any loss of weight? Um, and those general cancer signs, so... Um, has she been getting night sweats, fevers? And she denies all that. She also has no family history of note. Mm. So that's kind of kind of unlikely in this case that her anemia is caused by increased loss. She hasn't had a knee replacement recently, has she? She hasn't had any recent surgery. That's, a, that's so, another common cause, yeah. Yeah. Um, that's, in fact, I said menorrhagia and, um, and GIT, but in a hospitalised patient, Surgery is definitely something to look at. Mm. It usually doesn't take very long for the hemoglobin to bounce back after a surgery, though. Mm. Um, okay, so the next, the next kind of branch of this classification is increased destruction. Mm. So what does that mean? What is increased destruction of, of red blood cells? So hemolysis. Yeah. And there are a variety of different causes of or types of hemolysis from autoimmune hemolysis to DIC and HUS and TTP and various other acronyms. I'm not going to go into it now. I don't think it's... Another podcast, perhaps. Another podcast, perhaps, exactly. But the important thing here is that with hemolysis, there's usually jaundice Mm. um, and there can be splenomegaly as well. So that's easy to assess on the patient. And Mary doesn't have any jaundice and her spleen is of normal size. Mm which is also relevant to our third category. So we've talked about increased loss, increased destruction, and then the third category is sequestration. And this is almost always due to splenomegaly. Mm. Um, And and she doesn't have any splenomegaly, so it's probably not that either. Now, the last last category in this classification is decreased production. So this can either... This can usually be because there's either a nutritional deficiency or malabsorption, even if the um, nutrients are getting in, they're not being absorbed properly. Uh, It could be from bone marrow failure. So the bone marrow isn't able to create the new red blood cells or because there's low levels of the stimulating hormone. So the main one that makes red blood cells, do you remember what that one's called? Erythropoietin. Yeah, so that's that's formed by the liver, uh, by the (laughs) kidneys. By the kidneys, yeah. You say in renal failure. Yeah. Um, and also thyroid hormones. So if, if, the, um, if the patient's hypothyroid, they can also get an anemia. Macrocytic anemia. That's right. So, so asking Mary some questions to see if we can narrow this list down, this decreased production list. 
um, first of all, to look for malabsorption. She says that she's got no diarrhea, so we can sort of rule that out a little bit. Bone marrow failure, well, she doesn't really have any significant um, symptoms at all, so this is quite unlikely, and again, no family history. Um, and and keeping in mind also that the rest of her FBE was yeah, normal. Exactly. That's very important here. Um, and and she doesn't have any history of kidney disease and she doesn't have any symptoms of uh, thyroid disease either, which leaves us leaves us with nutritional deficiencies. So you ask her, how's your diet? And she says <clears> it's great. She's a yoga instructor. Health is very important to her, so she always tries to eat healthily. Gets all those vitamins and superfoods, antioxidants, she, goji berries, chia seeds, kale. <laughs> Um, but then, I mean, then she tells you that she's actually been vegan for six years. And I think it's always really important that when a patient gives you a label like that, that you get a really clear idea of what they mean. So I've met a lot of people who say that they're vegetarian, but they eat chicken and fish. Um, so it doesn't matter what it's called. The important thing is you, you get an idea of what is the patient actually eating and what aren't they eating. So in, um, in Mary's case, she actually hasn't had any animal products at all during the six years that she's been vegan. So no meat, including fish or chicken, no eggs, no milk, no cheese, no yogurt, nothing that um, is from an animal. So at this stage, Davo, um, in this patient, what is your top differential diagnosis? Well, she takes iron tablets, so iron deficiency is unlikely if she's taking real ones properly. And then B12 and folate deficiencies are the other two major type of nutritional ones, but if she's a vegan, she'll eat a lot of green leafy vegetables, which is where you get folate, so... She should. Not um, all vegans do. <laughs> just cheese. No way they can eat they cheese. They can't do that. <laughs> <laughs> it's a really bad vegan. <laughs> um, so B12, I think. Yeah. Um, and I might just add that in, in this history, you also asked her why she was taking iron tablets, and it was just because she'd heard that if you're a no. vegan, you don't get enough iron. And so they were the proper... Proper iron tablets. Um, so at this stage, if we just take a step back and say this patient is um, is known to have a macrocytic anemia, so what are the differential diagnoses for a macrocytic anemia? So you've got two types. You've got your megaloblastic and your non-megaloblastic. Yeah. So the megaloblastic anemia is when there's delayed maturation because of defective DNA synthesis. And there are a few different things that can cause it, but the big ones are B12 deficiency, folate deficiency, and drugs that affect DNA synthesis. So these are the differentials for a megaloblastic anemia, B12, folate, and drugs. Drugs like methotrexate. Drugs like methotrexate, which um, actually act to antagonize folate. So methotrexate um, causes a folate deficiency. Okay. Um, but also different drugs that affect DNA synthesis, like valproate. Um, so if we leave that list behind, I'm going to go into more detail with that. So B12, folate, and drugs. And now we look at the non-megaloblastic causes of a macrocytic anemia. The big ones are liver disease, alcohol abuse, drugs, again, but especially chemotherapy. Drugs can cause any kind of anemia, I think. Mm. Um, bone marrow infiltration, some endocrinology, never say this word some endocrine causes um <laughs> hypothyroidism as i mentioned earlier hypopituitarism which um can cause hypothyroidism 
and it can be physiological in pregnancy for both the mother and the fetus. So non-megaloblastic causes, again, do you want to sort of say them back to me, Double? So alcohol abuse, liver disease, um, drugs, especially chemotherapy drugs, bone marrow infiltration, endocrine causes like hypothyroidism, hyperpituitarism, and it can happen physiologically in both mother and fetus. Cool. So, so now if we just confuse you all and go back again to the megaloblastic causes. I said earlier, B12 deficiency, folate deficiency, and drugs that affect DNA synthesis. But we know that Mary isn't on any drugs, so we'll rule that one out. Um, B12 deficiency is certainly fair game for her. So the main causes are pernicious anemia, which I'll explain in further detail later on, celiac disease, which we think is unlikely because she doesn't have any GIT symptoms, mm. Metformin uh, can actually cause B12 deficiency with chronic use. I didn't know that. Yeah. Um, And also pancreatic insufficiency uh, because the pancreas produces an enzyme that's needed to liberate the B12. Um, So so that's sort of something that you see in cystic fibrosis, which she also doesn't have. A dramatic word, liberate. Liberate, yeah. The flexive overlords. So the... The most um, the most obvious cause in Mary's case could be just she's not getting enough B12 dif- uh, B12 in her diet. The next one was folate deficiency. Again, she might have a dietary deficiency. Um, going back to non-megaloblastic causes we need to rule out with her, bone marrow infiltration, those endocrine, endocrine things we were talking about before, and, and pregnancy. So these are all quite easily ruled out. Um, next test that we would do... Uh, you do a blood film? Yeah, and so a... that'll tell you if it's megaloblastic or non-megaloblastic, right? Yeah, uh, you do a, a serum B12 and folate. Iron studies. Now, she has a macrocytic anemia, and iron deficiency is usually a microcytic anemia. Yeah. But she's got this history of veganism, so it's mm. always worth checking out. Mm. You also probably um, want to check reticulocytes. So reticulocytes are important because if reticulocyte levels are high, reticulocytes being immature red blood cells, mm. that means that the body is still able to create more blood cells. So that means that the differentials we'll be most interested in are those ones where there's increased loss or increased destruction. The yeah. body can still make red blood cells. If retics are low, the body can't make the red blood cells or um, they're being sequestered in the spleen. So... Um, you'd probably also want to do a pregnancy test. Now, you get these test results back. She's not pregnant, but she does have a megaloblastic anemia. So I'll just sort of add at this point, do you know what, what that means, if it's megaloblastic? So it's when you have multi-lobed neutrophils. Yeah, exactly. So it's the neutrophils. It's not actually the red blood cells. Mm, hypersegmented. Yeah, so they actually always have lobes in them. Um, mm. So multi-lobed as such is normal, but if mm. they've got more than five lobes... Weird. It's weird. It's and, weird. And, and then we call that megaloblastic. Mm. So Mary's B12 was surprisingly actually low. So the normal range is 130 to 600 and Mary's was 110. Her serum folate was normal, which, as you said, Darwin, might be because there's um, a few leafy vegetables going on. Mm. Going on? Going, going on. in. Going on in herbivore land. Um, and her iron studies are normal. 
So we've got Mary, 32-year-old well woman who's on the oral contraceptive pill and um, iron tablets and nothing else. She has had a vegan diet for six years and she's now presenting with the incidental finding of a macrocytic megaloblastic anemia and low serum B12. So your impression is that Mary has anemia secondary to dietary B12 deficiency. Mm. I agree with that impression. <laughs> I would write that in my notes. Cool. So I was thinking we'd just talk a bit about B12, what it does, where it's from, what happens if you don't have it. Uh, yeah, so David, what what are the sources of B12? You can only get it in animal products. Yeah, so we were talking before about the difference between veganism and vegetarianism, and vegetarians are usually fine if they still eat their uh, milk and their cheese and, and dairy and eggs and that kind of thing because B12 is actually a... Um, I'm, I'm not sure of the exact mechanism, but it's produced by bacteria. And that bacteria is not present in vegetable matter. So what about those people who have been vegan for generations and generations? It's just in their culture. Have they always been B12 deficient? Yes. Well, you'd think so. <laughs> but, and I don't know if this is right or not, but it's always helped me to remember this. Um, a lecturer that I had a few years ago told us that in those cultures that have always been vegan, they got their source of B12 from bacteria in dirty water. Um. So if you decide to be vegan um, in, in today's society, particularly in a place like Australia where sanitation is very good, mm. you need B12 replacement because you generally have fresh, clean tap water and there's no cows dying upstream of you. You can find some organic water, I'm sure. <laughs> <laughs> All right, so, so the, way, the way it works is... You take in B12 through your diet and it binds to intrinsic factor, which is in the upper gastrointestinal tract. It's actually released by parietal cells. And then the whole complex, the intrinsic factor B12 complex, is absorbed in the terminal ileum. Mm. So you can see that if there's something wrong with your parietal cells or if there's something wrong with your terminal ileum, then you'll have difficulty absorbing B12. Got to look out for this in Crohn's patients that have had their ileum resected. You do. Any patients who've had their ileum resected, in fact. Correct. Um, so the thing with B12 is that it hangs around in the body for a really long time, so three to five years, compared with folate, which uh, is stored for about six months. Mm. So that's why Mary, the imaginary B12-deficient patient, was said to have been vegan for six years. Mm. Perhaps if she'd only been vegan for two years before she had this checkup, she would have normal levels of B12. What would have happened to her if we just let her go, not fixed her B12? So the main signs and symptoms are neurological. So that can range from peripheral neuropathy. It's mm. one of many causes of peripheral neuropathy. Yeah. Changes to balance, changes in mood. So B12 deficient patients are more likely to become depressed. Mm. And they can get confused, which can get severe enough to actually be labelled dementia. That's why it's part of that delirium screen that everyone gets in hospital. Yeah, so I think the, the main take-home point from this is that the symptoms and signs of B12 deficiency can be quite severe. Um, and, and that's why it's really important that you figure out this is what's going on and treat it. One of the important things to know is that 
if a patient has a macrocytic anemia, you can't just give them folate without also giving them B12 because folate supplementation might mask the macrocytic anemia. And I'm not sure about exactly how this works, but um, giving folate replacement when there is an underlying B12 deficiency can um, cause damage to the spinal cord. So don't do it. Mm. Um, the most common cause of B12 deficiency is pernicious anemia. So I talked earlier about intrinsic factor. In pernicious anemia, there's... Uh, or Dava, do you know what it is? So it's an autoimmune condition where the parietal cells that you talked about before are destroyed. And so we don't get that intrinsic factor that we need to absorb B12 in the ileum. Yeah, so that's the most common cause. And then other causes I've talked about a lot. So um, decreased intake or decreased absorption. So what do we do? Well, um, in a lot of patients, you would advise them to change their diet, but that's not going to be enough anyway. And there's obviously reasons why people decide to be vegan or, yeah. or whatever. Um, so, so the management at first is intramuscular hydroxycobalamin. Which is the fancy name for B12. Every two to three days for two to three weeks. Um, if the anemia is severe. So I'm not sure exactly what qualifies as severe. This is the kind of thing you do in consultation with someone much more senior than a junior doctor. Um, but after this initial sort of spurt of it, the patient gets injections every two to three months. So one injection every two to three months for the rest of their lives. I used to give them all the time when I was on my GP placement. Yeah. Do they hurt? Yeah, pretty unpleasant to, to do. So it's nice things they get the medical students to do. Mm. All right. Uh, well, that's about it. So I, I suppose the take-home points from this are that anemia pathophysiology can be divided into four different causes. So increased loss, decreased production, increased destruction or sequestration. And you can differentiate between these by looking at the reticulocyte count, which will be increased in cases of increased loss and increased destruction and decreased in cases of decreased production or sequestration. The next take-home point is don't supplement folate without B12 as well. And lastly, that B12 deficiency usually requires lifelong supplementation. Good one, Rebecca. Thank you very much. Thank you.